Chapter forty one of El Dorado by Baroness Orzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in September two thousand and seven. Chapter forty one. When Hope Was Dead. In a small upstairs room in the Rue de Charonne, above the shop of Lucas, the old clothes dealer, Marguerite sat with Sir Andrew Folkes. Armand's letter, with its message and its warning, lay open on the table between them, and she had in her hand the sealed packet which Percy had given her just ten days ago, and which she was only to open if all hope seemed to be dead, if nothing appeared to stand any longer between that one dear life and irretrievable shame. A small lamp, placed on the table, threw a feeble yellow light on the squalid, ill-furnished room, for it lacked still an hour or so before dawn. Armand's concierge had brought her lodger's letter, and Marguerite had quickly dispatched a brief reply to him, a reply that held love and also encouragement. Then she had summoned Sir Andrew. He never had a thought of leaving her during these days of dire trouble, and he had lodged all this while in a tiny room on the topmost floor of this house in the Rue de Charonne. At her call he had come down very quickly, and now they sat together at the table, with the oil-lamp illumining their pale, anxious faces she the wife, and he the friend, holding a consultation together in this most miserable hour that preceded the cold, wintry dawn. Outside, a thin, persistent rain, mixed with snow, pattered against the small window-panes, and an icy wind found out all the crevices in the worm-eaten woodwork that would afford it ingress to the room. But neither Marguerite nor Folks was conscious of the cold. They had wrapped their cloaks round their shoulders, and did not feel the chill currents of air that caused the lamp to flicker and to smoke. "'I can see now,' said Marguerite, in that calm voice which comes so naturally in moments of infinite despair, "'I can see now exactly what Percy meant when he made me promise not to open this packet, until it seemed to me—to me and to you, Sir Andrew—that he was about to play the part of a coward.' "'A coward! Great God!' She checked the sob that had risen to her throat, and continued in the same calm manner and quiet, even voice. "'You do think with me, do you not, that the time has come, and that we must open this packet?' "'Without a doubt, Lady Blakeney,' replied Folkes, with equal earnestness. "'I would stake my life that already, a fortnight ago, Blakeney had that same plan in his mind which he has now matured. Escape from that awful conciergerie prison, with all the precautions so carefully taken against it, was impossible. I knew that, alas, from the first. But in the open, all might yet be different. I'll not believe it that a man like Blakeney is destined to perish at the hands of those curs." She looked on her loyal friend with tear-dimmed eyes, through which shone boundless gratitude and heart-broken sorrow. He had spoken of a fortnight. It was ten days since she had seen Percy. It had then seemed as if death had already marked him with its grim sign. Since then she had tried to shut away from her mind the terrible visions which her anguish constantly conjured up before her of its growing weakness, of the gradual impairing of that brilliant intellect, the gradual exhaustion of that mighty physical strength. "'God bless you, Sir Andrew, for your enthusiasm and for your trust,' she said, with a sad little smile. "'But for you I should long ago have lost all courage. And these last ten days—what a cycle of misery they represent—would have been maddening but for your help and your loyalty.' God knows I would have courage for everything in life, for everything save one, but just that, his death. That would be beyond my strength, neither reason nor body could stand it. Therefore, I am so afraid, Sir Andrew," she added piteously. Of what, Lady Blakeney? That when he knows that I too am to go as hostage, as Armand says in his letter, that my life is to be guaranteed to his, 
I am afraid that he will draw back, that he will—my God!" she cried with sudden fervour. "'Tell me what to do!' "'Shall we open the packet?' asked Foulkes gently, and then just make up our minds to act exactly as Blakeney has enjoined us to do, neither more nor less, but just word for word, deed for deed, and I believe that that will be right, whatever may betide in the end." Once more his quiet strength, his earnestness, and his faith comforted her. She dried her eyes and broke open the seal. There were two separate letters in the packet. One unaddressed, obviously intended for her and Foulkes. The other was addressed to Monsieur le Baron Jean de Batz, 15 Rue de Saint-Jean de la Trane, à Paris. "'A letter addressed to that awful Baron de Batz,' said Marguerite, looking with puzzled eyes on the paper as she turned it over and over in her hand. "'To that bombastic windbag. I know him and his ways well. What can Percy have to say to him?' Sir Andrew, too, looked puzzled. But neither of them had the mind to waste time in useless speculations. Marguerite unfolded the letter which was intended for her, and after a final look on her friend, whose kind face was quivering with excitement, she began slowly to read aloud. "'I need not ask either of you two to trust me, knowing that you will. But I could not die inside this hole like a rat in a trap. I had to try and free myself, at the worst to die in the open beneath God's sky. You two will understand, and understanding you will trust me to the end. Send the enclosed letter at once to its address, and you, folks, my most sincere and most loyal friend, I beg with all my soul to see to the safety of Marguerite. Armand will stay by me, but you, folks, do not leave her, stand by her. As soon as you read this letter, and you will not read it until both she and you have felt that hope has fled, and I myself am about to throw up the sponge, try and persuade her to make for the coast as quickly as may be. At Calais you can open up communications with the Daydream in the usual way, and embark on her at once. Let no member of the League remain on French soil one hour longer after that. Then tell the skipper to make for Le Portal, the place which he knows, and there to keep a sharp lookout for another three nights. After that make straight for home, for it will be no use waiting any longer. I shall not come. These measures are for Marguerite's safety, and for all of you who are in France at this moment. Comrade, I entreat you to look on these measures as on my dying wish. To de Batz I have given rendezvous with the chapelle of the Holy Sepulchre, just outside the park of the Chateau d'Ourthe. He will help me to save the Dauphin, and if by good luck he also helps me to save myself, I shall be within seven leagues of Le Portal, and with the Liam frozen as she is, I could reach the coast. But Marguerite's safety I leave in your hands, folks. Would that I could look more clearly into the future, and know that those devils will not drag her into danger. Beg her to start at once for Calais, immediately you have both read this. I only beg. I do not command. I know that you folks will stand by her whatever she may wish to do. God's blessing be forever on you both." Marguerite's voice died away in the silence that still lay over this deserted part of the great city, and in this squalid house where she and Sir Andrew Folks had found shelter these last ten days. The agony of mind which they had here endured, never doubting but scarcely ever hoping, had found its culmination at last in this final message, which almost seemed to come to them from the grave. It had been written ten days ago. A plan had then apparently formed in Percy's mind, which she had set forth during the brief half-hour's respite which those fiends had once given him. Since then they had never given him ten consecutive minutes' peace. Since then ten days had gone by. How much power, how much vitality had gone by, too, on the leaden wings of all those terrible hours spent in solitude and in misery! "'We can but hope, Lady Blakeney,' said Sir Andrew Folks after a while, "'that you will be allowed out of Paris. 
But from what Armand says—and Percy does not actually send me away," she rejoined with a pathetic little smile. No, he cannot compel you, Lady Blakeney. You are not a member of the League. Oh, yes, I am," she retorted firmly, and I have sworn obedience just as all of you have done. I will go, just as he bids me. And you, Sir Andrew, you will obey him too? My orders are to stand by you. That is an easy task. You know where this place is? she asked. The Chateau d'Ourde? Oh, yes, we all know it. It is empty, and the park is a wreck. The owner fled from it at the very outbreak of the Revolution. He left some kind of steward nominally in charge, a curious creature, half imbecile. The chateau and the chapel in the forest, just outside the grounds, have oft served Blakeney and all of us as a place of refuge on our way to the coast. But the Dauphin is not there, she said. No. According to the first letter which you brought me from Blakeney ten days ago, and on which I acted, Tony, who has charge of the Dauphin, must have crossed into Holland with his little majesty to-day. I understand, she said simply. But then, this letter to de Batz? Ah! There I am completely at sea. But I'll deliver it, and at once, too. Only I don't like to leave you. Will you let me get you out of Paris first? I think just before dawn it could be done. We can get the cart from Lucas, and if we could reach Saint-Germain before noon, I could come straight back then and deliver the letter to de Batz. This I feel I ought to do myself, but at Achard's farm I would know that you were safe for a few hours. I will do whatever you feel right, Sir Andrew, she said simply. My will is bound up with Percy's dying wish. God knows I would rather follow him now, step by step, as hostage, as prisoner, anyway, so long as I can see him, but— She rose and turned to go, almost impassive now in that great calm born of despair. A stranger seeing her now had thought her indifferent. She was very pale, and deep circles round her eyes told of sleepless nights and days of mental misery. But otherwise there was not the faintest outward symbol of that terrible anguish which was rending her heart-strings. Her lips did not quiver, and the source of her tears had been dried up ten days ago. Ten minutes, and I'll be ready, Sir Andrew, she said. I have but few belongings. Will you the while see Lucas about the cart? He did as she desired. Her calm in no way deceived him. He knew that she must be suffering keenly, and would suffer more keenly still, while she would be trying to efface her own personal feelings, all through that coming dreary journey to Calais. He went to see the landlord about the horse and cart, and a quarter of an hour later Marguerite came downstairs ready to start. She found Sir Andrew in close converse with an officer of the Garde de Paris, whilst two soldiers of the same regiment were standing at the horse's head. When she appeared in the doorway, Sir Andrew came at once up to her. "'It is just as I feared, Lady Blakeney,' he said. "'This man has been sent here to take charge of you. Of course he knows nothing beyond the fact that his orders are to convey you at once to the guard-house of the Rue saint anne where he is to hand you over to Citizen Chauvelin of the Committee of Public Safety.' Sir Andrew could not fail to see the look of intense relief which, in the midst of all her sorrow, seemed suddenly to have lighted up the whole of Marguerite's wan face. The thought of wending her own way to safety whilst Percy, mayhap, was fighting an uneven fight with death, had been well-nigh intolerable. But she had been ready to obey without a murmur. Now fate and the enemy himself had decided otherwise. She felt as if a load had been lifted from her heart. "'I will at once go and find de Batz,' Sir Andrew contrived to whisper hurriedly. "'As soon as Percy's letter is safely in his hands, I will make my way northwards and communicate with all the members of the League, on whom the chief has so strictly enjoined to quit French soil immediately. We will proceed to Calais first, and open up communication with the Daydream in the usual way. The others had best embark on board her, and the skipper shall then make for the known spot of Le Portel, of which Percy speaks in his letter. 
I myself will go by land to Le Bordel, and thence, if I have no news of you or of the expedition, I will slowly work southwards in the direction of the Chateau d'Ourde. That is all that I can do. If you can contrive to let Percy, or even Armand, know my movements, do so by all means. I know that I shall be doing right, for, in a way, I shall be watching over you and arranging for your safety, as Blakeney begged me to do. God bless you, Lady Blakeney, and God save the Scarlet Pimpernel. He stooped and kissed her hand, and she intimated to the officer that she was ready. He had a hackney-coach waiting for her lower down the street. To it she walked with a firm step, and as she entered it she waved a last farewell to Sir Andrew Foulkes. End of chapter 41